Welcome to TWW, The Weekly Wheel, where each week the Dharma Wheel rolls and delivers you new content available anywhere at any time in your everyday life. We present a mindfulness service, which has three components. First, meditation. And then we meditate with sound through chanting. You can have your mind wander when you sit in silence, but it's very difficult to wander as you chant. You need to focus on the next character, on your breathing, on the next line. And if you pat yourself on the back too much or become too self-aware, you'll miss a line. And then lastly, we have something called active listening, where we lean into and really listen to the Dharma talk given by our senseis. You could think of silent meditation and sound meditation through chanting as preparatory to get our minds focused and open and clear so we can really listen clearly and really take in the Dharma. And in a sense, it perfumes the mind. The mind is slowly changed as it hears new points of view, new perspectives, and new approaches to dealing with life. It's set up much like an in-person service. It's led, moderated by multiple voices. So you get a variety of opinions, a variety of, of perspectives as you go on your journey. So I hope you will join us now for this mindfulness service presented to you by the people at The Weekly Wheel and the Orange County Buddhist Church. Thank you so much. We will now have seated meditation. Take a moment to see that your back is straight and centered with your shoulders relaxed. If you're in a chair, it's best to sit forward slightly rather than leaning on the chair back and keep your feet flat on the floor. Try keeping your eyes half open, resting the gaze gently downward, without focusing on anything in particular. In the same way, be open to whatever sounds are coming into your ears, whether from inside the room or outdoors. We are not trying to isolate ourselves from the world around us, but rather feel that we're part of that world. If you like, you may count your breaths from one to ten. Inhale deeply, let it all out. Try slowing down your rate of breathing relative to what it would be at other times. We are not trying to think about anything in particular or visualize anything. We simply watch our thoughts come and go.
Please put your hands together in gasho. Bow. Namo Amidabutsu. Namo Amidabutsu. Namo Amidabutsu. Namandabutsu. 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 You may stretch your legs and then please stand. We will now have our standing meditation session. Your upper body is in the same position as for sitting meditation. Straight head and spine, shoulders back, eyes half open, hands comfortably positioned in front. Legs should be shoulder width apart with knees slightly bent. Again, rock forward and backward and side to side to find your center. Standing meditation reminds us to take our meditation practice out into the world, waiting in line at the store, being stuck in traffic, going through TSA security at the airport. Over time, meditation becomes a practice for the body and mind that can be recalled when needed most in situations that may be merely annoying, perhaps frustrating, or even stressful. We will begin at the sound of the bell.
Please put your hands together in gasho and bow. Namo Amida Butz, Namo Amida Butz, Namo Amida Butz, Namo Amida Butz, Namo Amida Butz. Return to your seat or cushion. Sitting in this way, we might wonder what purpose we are achieving. Actually, there is no specific purpose. I think it's really to make us aware of what sitting is, what breathing is, standing is. What are these simple activities that we do most of the time without thinking about them at all? We'll begin our second sitting at the bell.
Please put your hands together in gasho. Bow. Namo Amidabutsu. Namo Amidabutsu. Namo Amidabutsu. Namandabutsu. 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 We will begin uh, sutra chanting. Sutra chanting is actually a portion of a sutra that we will chant. Uh, most sutras are far too long to be able to chant in one sitting. So for us, uh, we're usually chanting a verse out of a longer narrative or prose. And that's why uh, each line consists of perhaps four or five or seven characters. When we chant, we read from left to right, just like in English, and we move down the first column, and then we move to the second column, and so on. Open circles uh, represent bells uh, for the chant leader to ring. So we always begin a sutra chant with two bells. Whenever we change a section, we use one bell to kind of signal that we're changing uh, from one section to another. And then when you end a sutra chant, you always end with three bells. Each syllable here is written in Romanized characters, English characters, and each syllable here represents a kanji, a Chinese character, and it's written phonetically. It's the sound of the character. The vowels have the same pronunciation independent of location or their neighbor. So this is different from English. And the vowel sounds, uh, I've been told, resemble those in Spanish. So we have A, E, I, O, and U. And they're pronounced A, E, E, O, and U. And then uh, you'll see uh, italicized lines. Uh, those are leader lines that I chant alone. And you will also see underlines under some of the characters. And that means that rather than each character getting a single beat, an underlying character will get a beat and a half. And to kind of make up that little extra time, the next character in line will only get a half beat. And what you do is you don't really concern yourself too much about the meaning of what's being chanted. This isn't flashcards. We're not trying to learn something. This is a ritual. And so we chant together as a feeling of oneness. Don't worry too much about how you're doing. Be aware and mindful of each character. Uh, this is a form of meditation. Uh, rather than silent meditation, we're meditating through sound. So, you know, you see the character, you say it, you forget about it, you move on, and you say the next character. And over time, it becomes effortless, and you'll begin to memorize it uh, without realizing it. We will now chant the Junidai found on page 49. Junidai or 12 verses of reverence, originated in the Mahayana tradition of India during the time of the Pure Land Master Nagarjuna, around 150 CE. The verses were later translated into the Chinese text that we chant today. Like the larger sutra and the Amida sutra, the text of Junidai describes the spiritual qualities of Amida and the Pure Land using poetic language. Please read the translation of the Junidai found on page 51, which describes in detail what the 12 verses of reverence actually means. We will now chant the Junidai. Amida 
Oh. 
I would like to share a story with you today about how I've been missing a metaphor for over 20 years of Buddhist practice. Shinran Shonen, the founder of our tradition, wrote over 500 wasan. These are four-line poems written in Japanese rather than Chinese so that they would be accessible to everyday people. Of these 500, we focus on the 353 that are in one of these three groupings. The Jodo Pure Land Wasan, there's 118. The Koso Pure Land Master Wasans, 119. And the Shomatsu Dharma Ages Wasan, there are 116. The Koso Wasan highlights the importance and contribution of each of the seven Pure Land Masters. For example, there are 10 written for Nagarjuna, 10 for Vasubandhu, and so on. There's also Master Tanluan, Tao Cho, Shandao, Genshin, and Genku, or Honen. One of my favorites is in the Koso Wasan. It is Koso Wasan 19, the 19th Wasan from this group. From the above list, we can see that the Koso Wasan 19 is one that honors Vasubandhu, the second of the two Indian Pure Land Masters. Vasubandhu often describes the mind that seeks awakening as being single, focused slow, solely on the path. 
Shenron gives a bit more detail by describing this mind as threefold. It is sincere, joyful, and desiring birth. But in the Koso 19 Wasan, it is described as diamond-like. He writes, Shinjin is the mind that is single. The mind that is single is the diamond-like mind. The diamond-like mind is the mind aspiring for enlightenment. This mind is itself other power. Given that Amida is the Buddha of immeasurable light, where light is being used as a metaphor for wisdom, I had associated a diamond-like mind with one that has attained light or wisdom. Diamonds reflect and refract light. They glitter and sparkle. Diamond-like is also translated as adamantine, as in Shinran's creative quotation of Shandao's use of the term the adamantine mind from a course that was taught by Dr. Michael Conway. Shinran writes, the commentary of the Contemplation Sutra states, although the ordained and lay gathered together now, each have given rise to the unsurpassed mind. It is extremely difficult to disdain birth and death and hard to enjoy the Buddha Dharma. Give rise to the adamantine aspiration, unconventionally sever and overcome the four streams. Truly taking on the adamantine mind and having corresponded in one thought moment as a result, one will attain nirvana. I had always assumed that adamantine must also connote bright and shiny wisdom. I have thought so for decades, but adamantine is where the word adamant comes from. It means to be unbreakable in your focus, unbreakable like a diamond. So the metaphor has nothing really to do with light or wisdom at all, but rather with focus and resolve. It is odd, but once you learn a new word, then you often start seeing it everywhere. Did you know that Hercules' golden mace is made of adamantine? I also discovered that the shield of my favorite comic book hero, Captain America, is also made of adamantine. It is a shield that is nearly immutable and resistant to being damaged or changed. Adamantine also appears in Dungeons and Dragons, referred to as adamantite, adamant, and adamantium. I also Googled, can a person be adamantine? And found that the answer is yes, just as Vasubandhu and Shinran had described. Here's what Google had to say. When someone is adamant, she won't budge or yield. Anything adamantine is pretty much unbreakable and invulnerable. Adamantine substances also tend to be bright and shiny like diamonds. When used figuratively, adamantine can describe someone or something that is unbreakable, like the adamantine will of a marathon runner. The shininess is a clue for unbreakability and invulnerability, not for inquired wisdom. It is to be adamant about one's focus on the path. This is Shinjin. It is the right start to a long Buddhist journey whose destination is assured. Just like the marathon runner, who always just takes the next step, is assured of crossing the finish line. It is interesting that by misunderstanding a metaphor, I'd emphasize the finish line rather than the starting line. I have run four marathons, and the hardest part is not the finishing, it's the beginning. The first step is so much harder than the last. I think this is what Vasubandhu and Shinran are doing here. They are at the starting gate with us before we begin our journey. They are assuring us that the most important step is the first one, 
a step that is deliberate, focused, and unbreakable. As long as our aim is true and we do not give up, then we will surely reach our destination. Now we can exhale and enjoy the journey rather than trying to win the race. Namo Amidabutsu. Namo Amidabutsu. Namandabs. 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 Today's program was presented and produced by the Buddhist Education Center of Orange County Buddhist Church. This podcast is copyrighted 2023 by the Orange County Buddhist Church, Anaheim, California, all rights reserved.